Shalom everyone, I'm Liel K. Bridgeford and this is Unmarginalized. My next guest is Julie G, a disabled woman from the United States of America. Julie is a care coordinator and a mother of two. Before we begin, please note that the next episode contains references to ableism and body shaming, so please take care as you listen. So Julie, to start off us conversation off, do you want to tell me and our listeners which intersections of diversity do you identify with? I identify with, you know, being disabled mm-hmm. and um, growing up very poor and okay. not having access to um, good medical care and um, not having any education to point us to a mm-hmm. direction for you know, help with the disability. So being poor is a problem. And even though there are options out there that may or may not pay for specialists, if you don't have the education available to mm-hmm. the person, I mean, to the family who, you know, works night turn, sleeps all day, and doesn't have time to go call, you know, the social services to find out what, or, or even that you can. So yeah. Okay. How, how do you reach that? You know, my mom was, she was a single parent in the seventies, <laughs> still not a good thing, you know? So, right. um, grew up away from her family. Um, you know, she raised me with an elderly, my elderly grandparents mm-hmm. so she cared for them and me. And, you know, here I am disabled and she's trying to figure it all out. She's got a high school education someone who probably needs guidance, you know, like you would think that Mm. in a hospital, you know, like now I feel that there's social workers in hospitals when you have babies that will point Mm. parents to directions. But in the seventies, that may not have been a thing and it may have been something, but we didn't know. And I still don't know if it was there. Um, How do you think all of that affected you as you were growing up as a, a girl with a disability? I grew up with where my mom found services by finding out from somebody else who like knew somebody who had a kid that no one talked about. So when I was born, she didn't know what to do. So she had initially gave me up to the system in foster care because she didn't know what to do. She's like, how do I care for a disabled child? Not knowing how the disability was going to manifest itself. Doctors were like, yeah, your kid's not going to walk. And who who knows what else? You know, maybe mm-hmm. she's intellectually delayed. Who knows? We don't know. You know, so, yeah. but then she decided, you know what? Uh, I can't do it. So she went, got me and tried to figure it out. Wow. You know? so, how long were you in the system for, Julie? Probably almost the first year or so of my life okay. in and out because uh, I had initially been placed with different families, but of course, you know, no one wants a disabled child. I ended up having a foster uh, family who my mom then kept in contact with. Mm -hmm. They knew how to like find services because they were in the system. So they steered my mom to a hospital that was kind of expensive. It wasn't one like, I don't know if you ever heard of like Shriners where they, they would pay for things. Well, she didn't know about that. Right. And that was that they had one, you know, in my state, but she didn't know about it. Wow. So, you know, we went to a, you know, fee for service pay as you go 
yeah. um, billing. And my mom made like minimum wage. Co-pays were very expensive. Um, so she found a doctor there who was surprisingly, you know, knowledgeable. He, he told her that he's like, maybe, maybe she'll walk, maybe she won't. There's no way to know. Followed, you know, and so we would go there every so often to get checked x-rays, you know, see if things are growing. Everything seemed to be growing. So, but again, my mom had to buy two different size shoes, one big one, one small one, one built yeah. up like, you know, some heavy like wood, like build up, but you're just like walking yeah. around like, wow, this is going to, this is going to going to have a strong leg or I'm going to throw out my back, you know, <laughs> you know, because I mean, obviously I did walk. I learned how to walk. I was the, the thing about disabled people I find is the interesting ability to adapt what a, I don't know, typically abled person would yeah. be able to do is, you know, and, and the way that they do it you know, it is a model for how we might do it, but we figure out the way to do it for us. So it's normal for me to walk how I walk. But I absolutely agree, you know, the adaptability, but just because of the absolute necessity that, you know, the services and the supports are not there and we just have to adapt physically, emotionally, psychologically, like with everything, you know, that's really so good that, you know, your mom found that uh, family that were able to kind of direct her into a service that was able to give some kind of support. I mean, yeah. nothing is better than nothing. So that that's kind of like why I I was drawn to the my, my work, the, what I currently okay. do. I'm a care coordinator and I tell people who elderly, disabled, from from birth to a hundred and whatever, yeah. What services are available in the community, and yep. what is um, supported by your insurance? Mm -hmm. What is community supported, and what charities do what services for whatever your individual disability might be? You're doing this work that you know you're almost um, correcting what wasn't there for you and your mom. It's true. I find that I'm very unsympathetic to people who go, oh, well, I didn't know. And I'm like, really? It's like 2020s. Like, what is not on your iPhone? Well, like, do yeah. you not know? Like, tell me then. If you know me, I'm going to tell you what you need to do or where to go. I'm not a big fan of people who say panhandle. Do you know what panhandling is? What does that mean? Tell our listeners in case. So, you know, people know. who say would hold up a sign saying out of work or, you know, disabled, need help. And I'm just like, really? Are you kidding me? There mm. is a shelter. There are multiple churches who will pay for you to have a hotel until you can get mm. something. Social services who, if you're a minor, you're not going to be homeless. You're mm. going to have all of your needs provided. And yeah. I feel like you just want my money. I was walking into a restaurant and someone's like, um, can you spare money? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what do you need? Tell yeah. me what you need. They're like, well, I need help. I'm like, do you really want me to help you? And they're like, mm. yes. And I'm like, okay, so how old are you? And they're like, well, you know, I'm 16. And I said, okay. So I called um, Child Protective Services. And then they were mad about it. <laughs> oh, really? They were trying to just get money. They okay. didn't want 
help. And I'm like, look, if you ask me for help, this is the help that you're going to get from me. You are going to learn how to help yourself. And sounds like, I mean, what I'm reading between the lines a little bit, Julie, is that you've had to kind of help yourself so much and you know i know that what it feels like you know we share um in case our listeners kind of didn't maybe catch on that we share the same medical condition that we were born with but it sounds like it sort of leaves you feeling really um maybe a little bit angry about some people not like taking the effort are able-bodied with two good feet two good legs why are you not working Because Mm. I know that there are jobs out there for you. Oh, and if you speak a different language, well, good for you. You're bilingual. You're one up on everybody else. People need community supports to get them to a point where they can help themselves. Yeah. And that's fine. They don't need community supports if there's something for them to be able to help themselves, to find their own answers. And uh, I'm wondering about, you know, when you do the work, do you ever talk about your experience with, you know, your clients or the Not people that you support? even one time. Really? No. I, I always find that people don't want to hear about your troubles as much as they want to tell you their own. So I don't. And, and typically it doesn't come up. Um, if someone says to me, oh, why are you limping? I'm like, ugh. You know, and at my age, I'm like, oh, arthritis, because that is not a lie. I'm just <laughs> like, you know, why are you asking me why I'm limping? Did I fall in a hole? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't ask you why you, well, I already know, but because I, no, yeah. no one asks anybody else typically, you know, so how are you? When you say, how are you? They don't want to know how you are. No. It's like a hello. If I said, you know yeah. what, my back hurts. Exactly. Got, you know, limb discrepancy that throws out my back, a couple of surgeries, what? what do you want good day bad day what are you looking for oh just a hello oh okay yeah hello or tell ask you why you're limping because my limp is kind of changing and you might have the same experience like sometimes i limp more than other times depending Um, on pain levels and whatever day on the day um so sometimes if i know people who don't know about my disability then i limp one day and they notice it and they're like oh what happened and i just think uh i was born that's what happened (laughs) Like, like what happened? Like a shark ate my toes off? I don't know. Like when I was a kid, I would just lie and say a shark, you know, you really need to watch yourself in the water. Oh, I love that. That's great. And tell me about, you know, you mentioned with the kids, I guess that's what you used to tell kids. And I love that response so much, um, so much better than my responses, which were kind of non-existent or I tried to like explain myself and say I had a leg problem and I'm putting quotation marks around that because that's what I was told that I had a leg problem and that's how you know you can understand how you internalize yourself as being a problem yeah tell me about growing up I guess with other kids with your peers what was that like being a girl with a disability who didn't have enough support as well in terms of medical and other services well I grew up with a bunch of other poor kids you know in in our area of Pennsylvania it was very rural Everybody Mm -hmm. was like a farmer or worked at a steel company, you know, no one, Mm -hmm. no no one that I went to elementary school with, you know, had any money. You don't really know that you're poor when you're a kid, except for Mm -hmm. at Christmas when Santa doesn't like you as much as the other kids, right? Oh, he likes that better. Boy, I really, you know, he must not like the disabled kid. That's what you used to think. Well, you know, who knows why would Santa not want to bring me a toy? Yeah. But some other kid gets 50. I didn't even get socks. I'm like, what the, 
wow. And I'm not even bad. I wasn't even a bad kid. I'm like, man, I should go start setting fires or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Might as well enjoy it. You know, obviously gym class, not a big fan. Still not a big fan. And and because I grew up like hating that kind of thing, I still not a big fan of the group sport. You know, always the last kid picked. So all, always fun letting people pick their own teams. So that always makes yeah. people feel like, you know, never good letting people pick their own teams. You know, I think that instructors should just evenly have, you know, teams picked. So people don't feel bad. So you did, like you obviously uh, didn't like the gym class, but you still participated. So you still kind of were expected to participate like everyone else. I expected to participate because when I was a kid, of course, my mom didn't know, or if there were IEPs, she didn't know how to get one. No one said anything. Special needs kids got to do gym class because that's the law. Mm, you know? That was a lot. Okay. You got to take PE. Uh, why? Why do I have to take gym? Why, why, why do I have to take gym class? I'm getting pelted with balls, which by the yep. way, I'm not a big fan of a ball, not rubber or otherwise. Me too, Julie. <laughs> I have had a ball phobia almost my whole life. <laughs> if you have a ball around me, I am going the other way. Seriously, that is incredible. I feel so validated knowing that I'm not the only one who hates balls. Like, Ooh, I hate them. honestly, like any ball within any. like a hundred meters no. from me, I'm yeah. like, ah, uh, it's gonna hit me. It's going, <laughs> and it's gonna, it's gonna hurt. All of them, all, and they all do. Like somehow they find me and hit me because yeah. I can't get away. I'm not catching a ball. I'm trying yeah. to beat the ball, right? Yeah. I know my two and a half year old can throw a ball and catch it way better than me. Of course. (laughs) I love this conversation. I'll tell you why, because some podcasts and stories out there about, you know, the famous disabled people are usually like Paralympians, you know, and that's great. Good for them. But some of us, that was, you know, a lot of us didn't have that experience. You know, a lot of us had resources doctors who made good choices about surgeries that they may have had. Whereas us, I I was like, they were experimenting. They're like, well, let's see if this works. This might work. I mean, what are you going to do? I can't mess it up anymore. So, you know, kids are mean, you know, I'm still not a big fan of the big tough girls. So I'm really curious, Julie, how you went from, because I mean, we haven't talked about that yet, but you're married now um, Mm -hmm. with two adult children. Mm -hmm. But how did you navigate sort of I guess, you know, getting into the romantic world or all of that kind of area that starts in adolescence, which is such a hard time for most people as it is. What was that like? In high school, like I didn't have my first date until like I was in 11th grade, I think. Mm -hmm. And only because, well, late grower, late bloomer, no boobs until like, you know, maybe 20. (laughs) Always skinny, always you know, wanted to always have like cute hair, tried to wear clothes that like the rich girls wore, you know, or at least what you could buy at like Walmart. And so I got a summer job. There there was a program, you know, in my community. And I, I don't know what it was because I didn't come from a lot of money. You know, they had these summer jobs to try to get you, you know, to help give you a skill, you know, because. Okay. Poor, probably not smart, right? And, you know, the weird feet thing. You know, I, I had glasses. I had I had braces. You know, the, the hideous foot. So, you know, hideous child. So I disagree, but 
you know, that's how other kids were viewing you. And in high school, that's really a harsh time for yeah. judgment. I got a job. I paid for contact lenses, got yeah. the braces off, and bought cuter clothes. And two pairs of shoes, like a pair of sneakers to fit in at gym yep. and a pair of brown shoes for every day that would, you know, deal well with my handmade because I wasn't doing the whole shoe thing. I bought like the same size shoes, you know, so I, I think one of my feet would be like a size three and one of mine is a five. Yeah. You know, I'll just stuff it and we'll figure it out. Yeah. As it doesn't feel good, I'll, I'll adjust it. I had to reinvent myself. Then like my school, it was so small that the county then merged two schools together. So then suddenly there's a population of guys who didn't know me when I was hideous, right? Oh, wow. So then I started dating, you know, the new people, right? So not 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 a whole lot of dates in high school, not, no 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 real big leads there, but yeah. didn't didn't aim real, you know. So here's like a weird thing. I did not want to date anybody who would not be able to give my children a better life. So if I didn't think you had earning potential, yeah. Even though I'm not really, shouldn't be all that picky. So went on to college, had some serious relationships there. Yeah. And each one of them, you know, it was very stressful to tell them my big secret because they didn't know. They just, so, I mean, I would date them for months before I would tell them. Really? Uh, you were hiding it for months? Yeah, because, you know, you, wow. you don't know how worthy of love that you are. Are you worthy enough to be loved enough to tell someone who would accept you for something quite mm -hmm. so hideous as being born, you know, differently? So it was so stressful. I would cry and everything before I would even like tell anybody. But, you know, uh, it was accepted. So I was like, huh, who saw that? <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's I have such a, a similar experience and I think something that maybe a lot of people who don't have disabilities, able bodied people, don't really understand what it's like to kind of have to hide or feel that you really have to hide and um that comes from all those years of being excluded and bullied and yeah. Um not accepted and then accepted when you were hiding enough or well enough and yeah. passing as an able bodied person and that's put so much pressure on you like that would have put so much pressure on you as a young person in college just dating figuring it all out and then having to yeah. also manage that after you know you know I found I met my husband in college we got married I still didn't tell other people you know yeah. I would still wear clothing and jeans and not I'm not wearing shorts and the only way I would like say do a water park is if, yeah. you know, you, you would have those shoes that, you know, cover your feet. But yeah, so then, you know, having a baby, everybody's like, oh, are you going to pass your, you know, thing on to you, you know, your, your children? And I'm like, well, I hope not. But so then, you know, you do like genetic testing and then like suddenly someone says, oh, you have this. This is the term for what you have. It's oh. fibular hemimelia. And I'm like, huh. Who knew? So there's a word. Really? <laughs> um, you know, I only found out the name of what I had when uh, maybe like two years ago when it was just by Googling. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, no, uh, like, 
No, no yeah. one like knew. Like, there's like no treatment other than whatever my surgeries mm. were as a kid. I, I don't know that there may have been lengthening back when I was a kid, but we didn't know. Or maybe I was a candidate, maybe I wasn't. I don't know how like the um, the process is to exclude or include people for that process. But mm. you know, now I'm like at my age, I'm like, yeah, not going to do any of those things. You know, now I'm just trying mm -hmm. to get through the day and not fall on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine having ice. Like I'm really grateful that I don't li I live in Melbourne and there's no, uh, well, rarely there might be some like hell, but um, no snow here. And of course, like I've done for the record, I've done like probably about 10 lengthening and straightening procedures and they are horrible. So I do not recommend them. And as you say, you've got other priorities in your life. And I think that's such an important point. You know, right now, what you want to do is live your life and not fall on the ice and have, you know, do your work, spend time with your family. Yeah. Like the last thing that you want is to go into operations that are not necessary. Um, and I think that kind of comes to that idea of having to fix us, you know, that uh, people kind of see it that way. But last fall, I slipped on a wet leaf and broke a bone in my weird oh. foot and the doctors that I went to see were like I guess we'll just let it do what it does and I was like uh, all right they, they didn't put a cast on so I just had like the soft cast and I would take it off at night and like just hop to the shower <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like wow. literally slipped on a wet leaf I totally identify with that. I sleep on the littlest things, yeah. like a tiny little puddle uh -huh. or even like a different surface mm -hmm. of the pavement. Do you like walk looking down for objects? To yes. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. I feel that I cannot change that about myself. No. I've done it since I was, ever since I can w remember walking, I've always looked down because there's always sleeping hazards and I've walked with crutches all like almost of my life and I've slept so many times with crutches and on my unstable feet yes. so I just walk like this uh, looking down just yes. to explain to yeah. um, listeners because yeah it, and yeah. sometimes I think oh I really want to look forward to see like look up and see what's kind of the view and so I have to stop and do that yeah no <laughs> and I can't walk looking. and look around <laughs> unless I'm holding on to my husband's arm like you can't grip with your foot. It's just like yes, you're, you're just walking around, teetering, <laughs> you know, totally. like you know, and hoping for the best with each step. And you're like, well, yeah. you know, I don't see any hazards, but there could be a rock or yeah, not running <laughs> yeah. through the field, and also, no. you know, there could be a bug. So even in my own house, I no. sleep the other day. I slept on nothing, just the floor. Yeah, there was nothing on it, and no. I just slept. Doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like, yeah. but see, no one knows that. You know, I threw my back out because I feel like my limb difference when I have my shoes off at home yeah. is starting to be a problem. So, this is where the advantage of maybe having a lengthening mm. thing, you know? Yeah. But at this point, you know, 
it's already happened. So now yeah. I have to be extremely careful because now every time I get out of bed in the middle of the night to pee, I'm always like, mm, how's that feel on the back? And I'm curious about, you know, when you say kind of no one knows, and we talked about hiding a lot. And, you know, we also chatted about your work a little bit. And, but how has it been with work? Have you found that you had to tell people? Do you feel that the workplace environment that you've worked through has been sort of accessible and accepting? Or what, what, what's well, it been like? With my job, we have a home office. So yeah. all of my coworkers are, you know, on the other yeah. side of the screen. When I get a new, we call them members, I go to their home and I, you know, do their medical assessment and I tell them what resources are available for their particular concerns or or mm -hmm. what we can offer them or what, what they can get in the community. And going into their homes, the hardest thing that I find is if they have a front stair with no railing. Yes. I, it's really very hard to do. Yeah. But everything else I can manage and just say, oh, you know, I'm carrying my yeah. briefcase or whatever my, but you know, yeah. going up those stairs without hand railings. I'm like, who thinks of something so horrible? I'm so relieved that, you know, someone else feels as strongly about stairs as me because I have had such difficult times with stairs. Like there have been no elevators in my school when I was growing yeah, up. So yeah. I had to walk up like stairs of like there, staircases or staircases light, with yeah. crutches yeah. and yeah. with like a massive leg brace. It was heavy and painful. Uh, yeah, no one cares. No one cares. There's a side. <laughs> yeah. Still these days, like yesterday I went to – um, a little town here in Victoria called Queenscliff and I went to look at some art galleries and things and almost every shop in that town has a steps at the entry and I just find that heartbreaking honestly for so many people who like us either would struggle and for other people who wouldn't be able to access it at all if they uh, prefer to use wheelchairs or um, walkers or whatever mobility aids yeah, they want to use. They're not getting up there unless someone helps them do it and if you're in a wheelchair you're not getting in at all. And for you, I imagine that's even, you know, so tricky for you with your work because obviously people's homes don't have to be accessible. No, they don't. But you have to go in to do the work. You basically had to push through. You just have to adapt and yep. just a little bit enough to, you know, I don't need a lot, but I just need a little something to hold on to. Oh, yep. Or sometimes I'll put my, my hand on my knees and kind of, but it's really yeah. like, makes me want to punch people in the face, really. It's absolutely unnecessary. You know, it's just as easy to put a little ramp or or make a little hand railing at the very least. Just put a hand railing. Um, like, how yeah. hard is that? Like, I'll build it for you if I have to. I mean, it probably cost you, what, 500 bucks maybe? And then you make that back by people who could actually come. The thing about, like, being, you know, here in the United States is that, businesses are required yeah. to be accessible. They have to have a, a ramp or something, but those ramps, some of them, I'm just like, I'm just going to take the stairs. Yeah. Not like going all the way around to the side to walk yeah. up. I, I feel like even the ramps are put on as not even so welcoming. I, I don't feel welcomed with the ramp. I feel like yeah. it's a, we had to put it on and we didn't want to mess up the front of our building. So we put it here on the side and you can go in this entrance and there's accessibility yes. here for you and your needs. But welcome to our shop. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like really just make a welcoming entrance. 
Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, not one that you just put on because, you know, the state made you. And I mean, it is a start. So we will acknowledge that it's better than nothing, but absolutely needs to be welcoming and not to be on the side. Uh, We have that in some places here too, where there's a beautiful like entryway through the stairs. And then there's like a sign of a wheelchair to go to the right. And you have to go all around the corner to get in as if you're like, you know, hiding to go in. And I want to walk through the front door and (laughs) through the front entryway. Like I'm going to the front door and you are going to like it. Like I I get passive aggressive and I'm like, oh my God, the stairs, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or they go, oh, how was your visit? And I go, ah, you know, I almost fell down those stairs coming, you know, uh, they're not very welcoming to, to people who are disabled. That's incredible that you're even able to say something. I think that's fantastic. You know, advocating. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what's changed since you're old? Like w- what's been very unpleasant is like w- when when you're disabled, everybody's like, "Oh, go to the gym, go to the gym. Oh, you you know, you can lose weight at the gym." Well, you know, that's all nice. That's great. So good for everybody to be able to go to, lo- to the gym. But I I I gained like 40 pounds in the last year because I haven't been able to do anything you know, mm. two back surgeries, you know, and then starting to, you know, get back up. Losing it, it is not easy to find a way to lose weight with the options that we have to work with. You know, you can do Pilates and yoga if your feet will bend that way. Yeah. So, you know, or, or people did Zumba and I'm like, I can't do that kind of like pounding with my, you know, it sounds lovely. looks yeah. lovely for you to Zumba all that time, but can't do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do like the exercise bike. Well, you know, I have short legs. One may, you know, be a little yeah. bit shorter than the other one. And so now I'm like exercising, you know, like riding with a limp. <laughs> yeah. Riding with one side. Totally. And I don't want to stand in here with you all while you're, you know, lifting your weights because, you know, you can only do, like you can do all of these if your your upper body issues are lower body. If you yeah. have something that would affect your arms, then what do you do? But you've got to be able to stand for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, which is absolutely, which sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can, but it's damaging because what we're talking about is quite a lot of like body shaming, really. And, you know, and that is as women, that is something that, you know, we deal with so much more. Yeah. Like our bodies are being scrutinized so much more, you know, and I think that's pretty with your ugly leg. Gym workouts, not exceptionally like user friendly. You can get into the gym because there will be a ramp. Yeah. But what are you safely able to do? You know, and, and the trainers, they don't know. They don't yeah. know what you can do. They're like, here, do a leg press. And I'm like, no. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm like, oh, I lo- I'm like, sorry, I laugh because, no. you know, I experienced that stuff too, you <laughs> know. Of like press? Are you kidding able- me? able-bodied people and like trainers and like exercise like teachers and all these people that think they can tell you and think that they know what you can do and what's safe and comfortable for you to do and it's like uh no actually not and that pressure you know that sounds like a lot of pressure for you you know people telling you you should do this you should do that and maybe firstly maybe you don't want to and that's a fair choice 
well, especially, but also maybe you can't because services or the facilities really are not accessible. Everybody's like, oh, we'll go swimming. I'm like, in a public pool where everybody's around, you got to walk in front of them and they're going to be like, oh, look at you with the leg. Or yeah. if it's easy to get in and out of the pool, fine. Yes. But then if you want to get in to the deep end, you either go down these narrow stairs, you know, mm-hmm. and use your toes for support yeah. because you know because everybody yeah. has those but if you want to get into a pool typically you got to go through the little kid section and then walk mm. through and I'm, like, I'm not going past those kids I, I i didn't really like them when i was that age they're lovely you know my kids i, I had kids th- they're super get into the pool and walk through a bunch of kids asking me questions and then they go mommy what's wrong yes. with that lady and, and she goes oh. shh <laughs> Yes. Shh. Why and are you shh? I can hear you. <laughs> now, like, kid, kid has just outed me. Just say, you know what? Maybe she, you know, something hurts or whatever. But we're going to mind our own business. You know, we're not going to put yeah. her on the spot because we are nosy. Yeah. You know, or go Because that's very shaming. Absolutely. And it's also, it implies so many things. It implies that we can't talk about disability. It implies that, you know, what you're saying is really shameful and what you're asking about, and you should only talk about it behind a person's back. Um, I think there's, there needs to be so much more conversation about good ways to talk to children about disability. And I'm a big fan of that because I've got, you know, I've got a toddler too, and I've had the same experience as you with kids and, you know, that fear of having being teased again and traumatized again by questions and, and, and then, stares like, is massive. At a certain point, you don't even want your kids to be traumatized or shamed because their mother might be weird. So what was it like for you, Julie, to become to become a mother? You know, we, t- we chatted before about the kind of initial reactions from people shaming you again and, you know, well, asking again, you if you're going to pass I've on. learned not to disrobe you know, in public. I, I, I signed all my kids up for every single sport. Did you? I made them do everything until they could figure out what they were good at, which you know, they weren't good at a whole lot of sport. Yeah. Like they, they were good runners. So every sport and they had to have a club, you know, in order okay. to play video games or do fun things. They had to, and I made them play an instrument because you want your kid to be better than you and to have the opportunities that you may not have had. Absolutely. And that's in, that's incredible that you're able to do all of that for them, you know, providing them with so much opportunities. Um, and like I didn't let my disability hinder their life. You of know, course. I adapted myself to whatever they were good at. If they were good at cross country and they were running, you figure out where's the best spot to watch them. I'm not rushing across the you know, totally, you know, I'm like sticking over here with the old ladies and we're going to chat until my kid runs by. And how did you find with connecting with other, other mums and other parents, I guess? I, yeah. I'm typically very, I, I'm very um, outgoing, friendly chat with people. You know, I sit with people because of course being disabled, no one will sit with you, right? So mm. I will sit with the person no one wants to sit with. I, I found myself when I was younger, not wanting to sit with that person, the the person mm. that might have been considered ugly, because you didn't want to 
have any fingers pointed at you, right? Then I, I felt, you know what? Like, I don't want to be around people who make me feel that way, that I mm. don't want to sit with someone who might be a wonderful person, but may not fit the stereotypical loveliness. So I try not to do that. I try mm. to find the person because I, I don't, yeah, that could be me again someday that someone doesn't yeah. want to sit next to. Like I tried to include like the guy in the wheelchair in the conversation instead of excluding them. Absolutely. And I think that, speak yeah. clearly, but you just listen. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just have to listen and stop being selfish. And, you know, you and I met on an online group and um, for Fibelheim Amelia, and I was the same. I have not met or even conceived like, in my mind I there was other people like me. Like all of the people in that group who have interacted are like they know my heart song. And yeah. when they say things, I'm like, yes, where have you been all my life? Where have <laughs> exactly. you been all my life? Can we all hug? Can we? Yeah. Can we just, you know, go to a handicap accessible building, get our things <laughs> done and sit at a pole with our feet out? Yes. That is what we are going to do I once COVID settles. I want to get a pedicure. Yes. I have never, we will get a pedicure I together. I have never gotten a pedicure because I am ashamed of how my feet look. And yeah. how they are going. And I don't want to deal with how they are going to perceive. You know, I've struggled with that, wanting to get, you know, even my hair waxed and things like that as a teenager and as a young adult, like just felt like I could not um, go to anyone to do it no. um, because I felt way too ashamed because of judgment. And actually once, and I'll tell you this story because you would understand, um, and maybe our listeners might understand once <laughs> they hear it now. <laughs> Um, I went to a beautician once, or I think she was a she was a masseuse slash beautician, and I got this voucher from someone to go to her, and she gave me like a massage, and I had obviously you know taken my pants off for it, something that you feel so self conscious of as it is as a teenager, and then she saw my legs and. I waxed my left leg, but I didn't wax my right leg because the skin was so is still so incredibly sensitive there and it's really oh, painful really? to even touch it mm -hmm. after like about eight, 19 operations, something like that. And she laughed. She laughed at my hair. And she said, why don't you, um, you know, you need to shave this leg too or something like that. And she laughed at me. <laughs> so... Those kinds of things they happen. Do. They happen. And, and I think people need to understand that we, we are not that. scared for nothing. Like you don't yeah, and you don't forget that. that. Like that is not something that you just shake off and keep. No. It re exactly. You about it all the time. Like on a Tuesday yeah. at like one in the afternoon. You're like, yes. I really wish that person wouldn't have done that. So The long-lasting impact. It does. It's very long-lasting. Like I. Uh, I'm I'm a cranky adult now because I feel that I'm just like, you know, I might be more sympathetic toward people if people were more sympathetic toward me. Absolutely. Because I don't have sympathy when people are like, oh, my ankle, my feet hurt. And I'm like, <laughs> your feet hurt. That's just, that's adorable. Is it? Like, <laughs> um, really? How do they hurt? No, that, that's, let's chat about that. Because you know? when I walk for a long time, like at an amusement park when I was younger, boy, for two days, I would yeah. be like hobbled around and mm. I am not 
going to not, when I was younger, I wasn't going to not go to the amusement park. I was going to the amusement park and I was going to be a typical person. I I find that my mental health is uh, cranky. I I find that, you know, the accessibility isn't done gratefully. Like they're not happy to make, like places are not happy to invite the disabled. You know, well, there's the ramp. So what more do they want? You know, I I still feel unwanted. Like, well, you know, I guess you don't want my money and I spend a lot. (laughs) That is such an important point. And I think businesses fail to realize that we we are spending like potential for them that they are missing out on. Yeah. Like if I don't feel very welcomed, I'm probably going to not buy something there. And on the contrary... I know that if there's a place that I do feel welcome, I would spend money there again and again. And I would spend more every day. Exactly. So for any businesses out there, be welcoming. It's worth your money. (laughs) And not just with the rent, but do. You know, they wouldn't know just looking at you. I I find that nothing has really changed. In the attitudes. Nothing has changed to me. Like people will say that they they do to the point where, okay, fine, you're accepting. Jeez, like make me feel bad about it, but you're not. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be making an issue of it. Like you, you don't bring up somebody's disability in a conversation unless you're like, unless it's a friend of yours and they're like, oh, I, I have stairs. Do you want me to turn on the light and something appropriate? Yes. No, don't point out that, oh, look, I have a, you know, a ramp for you to use. Well, I see that. <laughs> and that's the thing as well. Like they are seeking our approval. The, like approval and like brownie points. Like they're seeking like a well done as if they've yeah. like, as if they've gone above and beyond and actually forgetting that accessibility is everyone's human right. It's not a privilege that some people should get. It's a human right. Everyone deserves to have access to all the services and facilities that everybody else has. Um, In America, I expect to be able to access every building. If I go to Italy, well, then I can't expect it because... I'm not a taxpayer there. And I've been to Italy and they're really not because they've got a lot of old buildings and they're not really happy to uh, mar them with a with a ramp. That's what I've been told about um, the town that I was in yesterday that I told you about. They've commented on my post on Instagram and said the heritage overlay, which is the rules about the old building, it prevents them from changing, <laughs> changing the building. And I'm like, okay, but there that's are- not a good enough excuse. It's not a good enough excuse. Also, there are portable ramps. Exactly. Yeah. If everybody should have the similar, you know, they wouldn't like it if they couldn't access something. And that's the thing about disability, and I think people forget. Anyone can join Ask Disabled at any moment. At any point. At any moment. Exactly. Fall. And include everybody in our ranks, even though you don't want to be. Yeah. No one wants to join us. Exactly. And as you say, like acceptance in in little and big businesses and services as well. Maybe we can get a sponsor for nail polish and I'll do, um, you know, do a pedicure and 
put it up on my Instagram and you know, do it yeah. together and and let everyone know that feet don't all look the same and not everyone has five toes and not everyone's toes are the same and not everyone has ankles that move and all of those things <laughs> or ankles I don't even know if I can call mine an ankle exactly I don't know that we, we have it like a bump yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's on that note, Julie, I'm wondering, and it might be putting you a little bit on the spot, so no pressure if uh, what does intersectionality mean to you? It's not a positive thing being intersectionality if, say, you are a beautiful tall blonde and you are rich and you are intelligent, that's a positive intersectionality. I think terms like intersectionality are used when people are marginalized. You find words to describe your different um, life views by saying, well, I'm this way because I grew up this, this, and this. Yeah. They're that way because they didn't have to grow up this, this, and this. But I've yeah. had all of these barriers. Intersectionality is barriers to succeeding rather than positives to succeeding. You know, where I fit in on the sides of the intersection. Yeah. I am still on my intersection. And I haven't, yeah. I'm trying to cross over. But I will never yeah. be, you know, able-bodied. And the older I get, the less able-bodied I'm ever going to pretend to be. <laughs> exactly. So Well said. I love the way that you explained that. And I almost see it as like layers of barriers, uh, intersectionalities. Brilliant. Julie, it's been such a pleasure to chat today. Thank you so much for coming to well, I what you were looking for. Like, I feel like you already know all of the secrets. <laughs> Yep. I feel like if we wrote a book, it would be shh. That would be the title. <laughs> we are changing that now. So we are talking about it. And I'm so grateful that you agreed to come to the podcast. I hope that it was, you know, you enjoyed our chat together. Yes, we should do it more often. Maybe this is our therapy. I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording the podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. As we tell our stories, I want to highlight the traditional owners of this land have been storytellers for generations. Did you know there's only one more episode for the first season of Unmarginalized? If you'd like a bonus episode, end the second season, go to my Patreon account now on www.patreon.com slash Bridgeford or click the link in the show notes. Also, please don't forget to rate, review and share the podcast. Until next time.